1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn.
3: Hi everyone, welcome on into a special edition of RotoViz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at RotoViz. I'm joined tonight by a special guest for this episode, and that's Dr. Jeff Budoff. Jeff is an orthopedic surgeon and has contributed a number of articles focused on injuries and in player health to the site. You can follow him on Twitter at JeffBudoff, J-E-F-F-B-U-D-O-F-F. But we're not talking any medicine tonight, and that's because Jeff and I are both super enthusiastic about auction drafts. We sent some emails on them back and forth last summer, talked about them on the phone. We thought it would be fun to do uh, an auction-centered podcast. Depending on how things go, we might do another and before uh, we let Jeff speak, I want to mention that I don't know if I have ever encountered a fantasy player as enthusiastic or obsessed with fantasy as this man. So Jeff, I'm really uh, pumped to have you on the show.
4: <laughs> thanks, Dave. How are you?
3: Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Thanks. Uh, excited to get into this auction stuff. So you've been playing fantasy for a while, and it seems to me like it's far and away um, auction drafts are your favorite format.
4: Yeah, all I really do for redraft is auctions. I mean, I may have some friends and coworkers that do a snake, and I'll be on the phone with them and coach them through it. But for myself personally, if I'm going to invest the time doing waivers and setting lineups, I want the most fun draft experience I can have. And for me, far and away, that is an auction draft.
3: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And there's there's so many reasons and we're going to touch upon them. But I think that you have so much more control in an auction. And if you're the type of person that takes the time to listen to podcasts and to read all of the different sites and go on Twitter and get opinions from these different experts around the industry, you're going to be so much more inclined to do well in an auction draft than you would kind of getting stuck into this snake. So I'm assuming that's one of the reasons that you like it too. It's kind of that freedom in the mental exercise of working through the auction.
4: Absolutely. And you can build your team how you want. Say, I don't want a first round pick. I want three second round picks, two third round picks, and then maybe a couple of uh, late round guys. You can do whatever you want. You can target who you want. And you have to own your team more. You have to take responsibility. You just can't say, well, you know, I had a, I was in the ninth pick, and then I just blamed that for not having gotten any of the good running backs, and I had to use this strategy. No. You control your strategy. You decide how you want to build your team and who you want to get. You can get anybody you want. Because if we're doing a snake draft, and you're first, and I'm seven. And you want Saquon Barkley, I don't have a shot at him. But I can't say that in an auction draft. It's just who wants him more. You might not be able to get everybody you want, but you can get anybody you want. So especially if you're only playing and personally, I mean, I help other people, but four drafts myself, I can get the players I want. You know, you can't shove me out, assuming that I'm ardent enough to, you know, spend what it takes to do it and I can construct my team, I can look at the player pool, and I can go studs and duds this year, and then next year, if it's different, I can go a bunch of 3rd and round value picks. However I want to build my team, I have the control to do that.
3: Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting aspects of the auction. So as we start in this episode, I think we just want to introduce some of the key Core concepts and things that you need to keep in mind. Um, I would recommend if you're more interested in getting some of the background on the supply and demand of players or different terms that I might throw out. If you search um, Rotoviz, when you leave an auction draft with Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, and Julio Jones, which is an article I wrote last year, links to pretty much everything that I have put out on Rotoviz. Related to auction drafts, and it covers um, some approaches of using basic economics to approach auction auction drafts, and basically gives the roadmap of everything that I think is imperative for you to know. We're gonna try to get at a lot of that in these episodes, but we might not get to everything. I think the first thing, as you definitely alluded to, that we need to talk about is that auctions are an entirely different animal than snake drafts, and I think a big reason for this is that. As you said, Jeff, when we were talking about this prior, there's no cookie cutter solution. And you mentioned this book that you had read called The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which kind of gives a good jumping off point to our conversation if you want to uh, kind of highlight for the listeners what you meant when you brought that up.
4: Yeah, actually, it was Fantasy Douche, Frank DuPont, who suggested I read that book. And it's a great book. It was written by the CEO of a dot com who went through a lot of rough times and there was a dot-com boom and there was really no precedent that he was aware of to handle this and that's what makes hard things hard there is no blueprint to follow he took some concepts and he distilled them and he you know wrote different chapters about them but when you're in a situation first thing you need to know is what concepts to apply And a lot of times you have different concepts that all apply and they contradict each other and you need to weigh them. It's a lot like poker, you know, and a lot like fantasy football auction drafts. You need to figure out the situation that is current because the situation changes a lot. At the start, at least on Yahoo or ESPN, everybody is $200. You know, halfway into the auction, the situation is wildly different. And in a snake draft, we got 12 guys from Rotoviz and we did it 100 times. you probably <laughs> get some pretty similar drafts. But if we had the same 12 guys doing 100 auction drafts, they would be extremely different Absolutely. depending on the nomination orders, how much money you spent on this guy. And the situation is very, very fluid. It's, it's not like a snake draft where you can sort of plot out how you want. There's a lot of curveballs and you need a lot of mental flexibility. You know, in golf, they say you play the course. And in poker or fantasy football, the course is the other players that you're playing against and the current situation. And you sort of have to negotiate that. You know, when you ask a poker player, which is my gambling background, (laughs) you know, well, how do you handle that? They'll always give you the most frustrating but correct answer. It depends and there's a lot of variables and the better poker players are able to weight the different variables better than the novice. And, you know, if you ask a golf pro which club to use, he'd say like, well, what's your situation? And he's going to have a lot of questions for you. I don't play golf, but your lie, you know, whether the par is for the whatever, what the weather, I don't know. But he'll have a lot of things he wants to know before telling you which club he recommends. And that's the same thing as an auction draft. You kind of have a blueprint going in, which has got to be flexible because you don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot more going on and a lot more variables than a snake draft. And then as things go on, you have your plan A, plan B, plan C. And you need to sort of visualize, You need to understand what's happening And then the principles you want to apply and weigh them to come up with what is the optimum strategy right now, which may not have been the same thing you wanted to do five player nominations ago when everything just got kitty wampus and the three guys you wanted most went for far more than you (laughs) were willing to pay. And now you go from studs and duds, I'm going to go with a more um, balanced team or I'm not going to go running back heavy, I'm going to go running back zero. You need to be able to. to think on your food.
3: Yeah, that you hit on a lot of key points there. And I think that they illustrate a couple of things. So I have built um, and I've spent thousands of hours in my life building drafting tools and building a tool that intelligently mock drafts for the computer. And there's a lot that goes into this. And I always have people asking me if I'm going to put something out that is an auction related tool. And I have always kind of held to the fact that I actually think that if I did that, it might be a detriment to people out there because if they start to practice with it, they might get into certain patterns of viewing um, teams getting built in certain ways. Or I guess, if I feel like there's so much variability draft to draft that unless you had something that was so random, it might not be serving people well. And I think that people in their mind like to get into building this one approach that are built around one set of prices. It's another reason why I'm very leery about ever building a tool that will allow people to set prices for their players. Because what can happen is you get this generated list of values. And I think another thing that's important here is if you go to a website and they're giving you values, you need to realize that if your league starts different numbers of players at each position, those values are pretty much you know, null and void. You might be able to look at percentage differences, but so much of this depends on the roster construction and then the particular flow of the draft that you're in. So what can happen is if you've set your prices higher on this sheet that you go into the draft with, then the prices actually come, you're going to potentially overpay too much in the beginning. Before you can adjust, or if you set your prices too low, you're pricing yourself out of players that you might need. And we'll talk about the impact of some of these things. But really, I think if you're planning and practicing, it comes down to thinking about how you're going to react in different situations. And like you said, having multiple plans in place. And this goes back to what you said, which is they're not linear. Sna- uh, auction drafts, they don't follow this predetermined flow of a snake draft
4: absolutely you need to be much more sure of how you value players and because they're going to nominate people from the late rounds before people that are studs they'll nominate these middle round players and sometimes there's one or two studs left and they don't get nominated till later you need to figure out how much money you're going to save for them because you might not be the only guy waiting for them and after a couple rounds of nominations you can just take ADP and throw it out the window because the situation is now so fluid based on what the personality of that individual draft is. Is it you know, steep? Are they playing a lot for studs, in which case there'll be less money left later? Because there's only a finite amount of money, 200 bucks yep. times 12 players, which is usually my leagues, $2,400, and that's it. So if they're paying a lot of the start, there's gonna be value at the end. If it's a flatter draft, meaning that there the studs aren't going for that much, believe me when I tell you, there's gonna be a lot more money left at the end. And those people that you think are your sleepers, you're gonna get for a dollar two, you may be stunned at how much they go for. And that budget that worked in your mock drafts may not work right now. The other thing, is if you're like me, like I'm doing six drafts, I told you, over the next uh, two weekends, you know, the ADP during, you know, from January to, I don't know, April or the draft may not be that volatile. But I can assure you that after the five preseason games tomorrow night, because this is Wednesday the 14th, so there's five games tomorrow night. There'll be some games Friday night when I'm drafting. Based on a couple of touchdowns or runs, that ADP or injuries, that ADP can fluctuate widely and wildly. And you just need to know who you like and how much you're willing to spend on individual players. You need to know the course a lot better because there is no blueprint and there's really no cookie cutter that you know basically what round people are drafted in. Because the amount of money that somebody goes for in the middle or the end doesn't just depend on, you know, who's left. It depends on how much money the other managers have to spend on them. And so there's a lot of variables to keep in mind, which is another reason why the principles are important in that you need to be able to weigh these different concepts in a way just like no limit hold them. There's a lot of variables, and you need to adjust between the flop and the turn and the river. How many people are playing you? Is the texture of the board giving you a lot of draws? Is it not? There's a lot, how much, uh, how deep the stacks are. There's a lot of variables. Same thing with auction drafts, and you really need to sort of have a much deeper understanding of what is going on, who's left and how much money your opponents have to spend and you have to spend than you do during a snake
2: draft, which is a lot more linear. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. decoy by duckhorn elevate your occasion
1: love a good deal sail into the season at banana republic Factory's mega labor day sale entire store 50 to 70 percent off dresses from 1999 polos from 16.99 find your nearest store or shop online only at banana republic factory
3: yeah so this is where i think i'll introduce some of the um economic concepts that i said i would talk about and The one thing that I think happens too often in fantasy is we will try to introduce financial or economic terms in cases where maybe they're not completely applicable or we're kind of using them in a layman's kind of context, which doesn't actually translate. But I think that there are a lot of concepts within an auction that you can apply basic economic principles to. And a key thing here, as Jeff mentioned, is there's a finite amount of money in this draft. Those $200 for every team are more or less all going to be spent. So a couple of things happen as a result of this. Your draft starts off and there is a supply of players, a supply of players, and there's a demand for these players. And in economic theory, you're going to have an equilibrium point that is going to be the pricing level for each player, which is going to be the intersection of the supply for a player. And the demand. Well, that demand for a player that there might be at the beginning of the draft can shift based on players that have been drafted prior to him. So, if we see, for example, tier one players at wide receiver start getting nominated early and four of the top five or so guys go, that can substantially increase the price of the fifth player. That's that tier one wide receiver because the supply for that position has shrunk, which increases the demand. And if you look in some of my articles, you'll see how that would shift the, the curve, which would raise the price. Um, and this gets into some of the things that you'll commonly see, because again, there's only so much money in the auction. If pricing is very aggressive for players at the beginning, that means that towards the end of the draft, it's likely that uh, players will be going for cheaper which again gets back to this idea of things are not static and you need to be dynamically tracking players. So how do you go about considering what your value is for a player? I don't think that you do it in terms of dollars or even if you do things in terms of percentages, um, recognize that if you say, all right, I'll spend 25% of my $200 budget on running back, you're actually assigning a dollar value to that position. um. You can kind of do it if you're looking at a positional group as a cohort. But remember, if you're looking at players as a percentage of your budget, it's the same thing as looking at dollars, which is a mistake I see some people make, and then they've established a static value for a player. But what I do is I think about players in terms of tiers, bucketing players into groups of players where I feel like their range of outcomes is similar. They probably have a similar high-end range of outcomes, a similar low-end range of outcomes. And then I see the draft start to develop. I get a sense of the players in that tier, what they're going for. And then that's going to inform how I view the other players. So if I feel like really, really good wide receivers are going for a lot to begin the draft, I know that we're probably going to see something where middle level players start to become cheaper. And then I can also take the context of the prices of running backs and start to use that to inform my approach. Um, And I think that's a really key concept that I can't stress enough is just that you need to be reactive to the pricing because it can give you ways to optimize your team that you're putting together in ways that you might not even realize when you're planning or going into the draft. Do you think that makes sense, Jeff?
4: it it does you know when a lot is being spent early you know and you're trying to figure out your budget at that point those sleepers at the end might really be cheaper because there's less money to spend at the end whereas if those you know if it's like an 80 say saquon barclay say for example which is a lot yeah for 70 there's going to be less left at the end for your ninth and tenth round sleepers now if it's 50 bucks at the beginning those sleepers may go for five or ten dollars because there's a lot less money, a lot more money left at the end. Also, a couple of things you touched on, I'd just like to yep. uh, elaborate on, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, you talked about how as people go into tier, the next guy can get more expensive. You know, generally in an auction, assuming that we're gonna nominate because it varies, right? Yep. But assuming it's relatively. Stable in that the 101 gets nominated, then a 102 gets nominated, then the 103, which believe me, is not the rule. But let's <laughs> say, for example, stuff like that. The later you go in the draft, the less money people have, and the cheaper everybody is going to be. But everybody else also has tiers, and some of these tiers are pretty established. Now, J.J. Zacharyson, I think it was him who first said it. He talks about a U. Where the people at the end of a tier are going to get more expensive as the tier evaporates. Right. I, I think that there is some merit, but I don't think that's quite the way my experience has been. Yep. First of all, you go through a lot of different tiers throughout an entire draft. And not all of those tiers are gonna have people more expensive at the end is usually just the last guy in a well-established tier. It's only going to happen one or two times on average during an entire auction. And it's just not like, you know, a U is like, if there's six people in the tier, then the third and the fourth will be the cheapest, and then the fifth gets more expensive. I think it's usually the last one. And the tier where it usually happens is, this. if it's going to happen, 90% plus, it's going to be The stud running backs, you know, depending on if Ezekiel Elliott is still in there after the holdout, you know, the top four or five this year, and it may be with the top few wide receiver studs. And after that, there's so many tiers going to go through. I wouldn't worry about it, but you need to be wary when the auctions, when the players are nominated out of order, for example, (laughs) let's say you have Saquon Barkley as your one-on-one, for example. And the nomination starts off with David Johnson. And he goes, and you know what? Not a bad price. But, you know, this Rudolph guy said, if I wait later, it'll get cheaper. And then McCaffrey goes. And you say, well, that's a good price, but I really want Saquon Barkley. I'm just going to save my money. And then Zeke goes, you go, well, you know what? I know he's suspended or I know he's holding out. But, you know, it's still a good price, but I really want Barkley, right? And then Kamara goes. And you're like, you know, that's a price I'd be willing to pay, but it's I, I'm going to hold out. And then, you know, Chubb gets nominated. And then whoever you think is in the second tier there. And then all of a sudden, the second tier is evaporating. There's nobody left in the first tier. And finally, Saquon Barkley gets nominated. And you figure you're going to get him really cheap, right? No. <laughs> uh, it depends. But I can almost guarantee he's going to go for a lot more money than you wanted to spend on him. Because he is now far and away the last remaining stud running back, and, and there's everybody in the draft knows it. And you need to be wary of that. And if, if it's a good price, it's a good price. Well, maybe you're not that into David Johnson, but that was a good price you're willing to pay. You, you know, being you can't foretell the future, you might want to snap that up. Or even if you wait a couple, and the other studs are going, and the tears starting to evaporate, if Kamara is nominated and it's still within your budget for him, you might want to grab him because when that last guy goes, and I've seen it when somebody needs a running back and everybody else has one, two guys will just start bidding him up with the guy who really needs him. So it's sort of like three guys. Yep. And then they're just punishing this guy. So you need to be aware. And, and something that actually uh, Matt Berry, and I can I love to give credit when I can, yeah. if I remember who I learned it from, but Matt Berry had a really good point on this. He goes, if that tier is evaporating and the tier below you is evaporating and the tier below that is getting eaten into, so your plan B, C, D, and E are going away and you just have that one guy and you figure you're waiting on him, consider the possibility that unless you have a lot more money than everybody else, that you might not be the only guy waiting on him. And the move is to nominate the guy. Usually you don't want to nominate people you want until the end game. The move here is to nominate him. So either you get them and you know how much you have budgeted for everybody else, or you don't get them and you still have at least plan C, D, and E available to you. So you need to be really wary of when the ice you're skating on is starting to get pretty thin.
3: So many good points in there. And I think that I agree with um, what you said. So I'm going to try to unpack some of that uh, just to get my thoughts in there as well. But that all really highlights the nuance of this. Um, and that last example that you gave with what uh, Matthew Berry said there, I think makes so much sense. And I think that Barkley this season is a good example of the type of situation you could have where that pricing goes up. So I agree. It might not be so much of a you, but you do see situations, especially in the higher tiers, where if you wait too long, you're probably not going to get a discount that you're hoping for. And it's possible that player shoots up, which is why if I head in to the draft and um, you know, prices are kind of palatable given what I'm seeing, I might be careful to say like, I absolutely need to have Juju Smith-Schuster in this draft. If I see a Michael Thomas or a Julio Jones going at a price that seems reasonable given the guys around them, then maybe I'll say to myself, you know what, let's go with Julio or let's go with Michael Thomas and start adjusting my team from there. I think that certainly you can build your team in a way that you envision and build it in your image, but you probably also don't want to be too rigid because if you are too rigid, you're removing yourself from opportunities to build your teams in ways that might be more advantageous than if you stick with that plan that you had in place. So I generally sit down before a draft, given the specifics of that league, and I say to myself, okay. If everything went exactly the way that I want it to when the top level running backs are going for very high prices in comparison to the top level wide receivers, how will I approach this draft? What if things start off like that and then something happens where the tier two wide receivers start to go for prices that are higher than it would have seemed? How will I react? What's my pivot? So I have all of these different scenarios drawn out. Because you just don't know what the prices are going to look like. And you might have something, and this goes back to the concept of you can't set prices for players. I'll hear people ask me the question, how do I set my values for this auction? Or what's the right price for a certain player? Well, if you're in a league where there's one or two guys that are really aggressive That's going to change the entire dynamics of the draft and pull up pricing. So unless you're the person that's willing to pay the most for players, you're not going to be setting the values. And the market at large is, Uh, which really drives back to just, and you know, it's hard because I I could see there being a frustration in listening to us of just saying, all right, they're basically saying the thing over and over, which is it's very complex and you need to be open-minded. Uh, but I guess the takeaway here is with the idea in mind that you have to be open-minded, you prepare for all of these different scenarios. I don't know if I'm rambling on a tangent, but I really think that's one of the core concepts that we get back to.
4: Yeah. And what you said about tiers is so crucial. You know, if you go in with your initial plan, let's say you want to go wide receiver heavy, and you want an elite top five wide receiver, you want a lower end wide receiver one, and a couple uh, wide receiver twos. So your worst flex is, you know, the worst wide receiver in your team is yep. a wide receiver two. You know, again, you have the tiers. So you know who your top five are. And if you get a good price on one of those, you don't want to be waiting for Michael Thomas. Right. I mean, if you get him at a good price, that's great. However, consider that if Odell Beckham is going there, Julio Jones is going, the Devonta Adams is going, and Andre Hopkins, if you get a good price on anybody in that tier, and that's part of your plan, then that's a good price on somebody in your plan. Take the player and run. Get what you can get when you can get it, okay? Because now you're executing and you're still on course for your plan A. Same thing with your tier of the lower wide receivers. You want one of them. Well, um, you got somebody else at a good price, maybe even saved a few bucks. You can now take that and redistribute it, so you get a better wide receiver too, or even throw it into the running back or the tight end puller, you know, something like that. So you, the tiers are really important. And again, getting what you can need when you can get it is important. And like you said, preparation is key. And you, mock drafting is really, I think, important. And I recommend you do as many mocks as you can. Now, mocks have limits.
3: And now, in this case, do you mean like a redraft mock?
4: Yeah, I yeah. mean, like going on yep. ESPN or, or Yahoo, and yep. now you don't want to m- maybe the first time just to see where the values are on that website because that does drive True. auction value. Even experienced drafters are vulnerable, vulnerable to being influenced by the set price on Yahoo I
3: agree. versus yep.
4: ESPN. Like Yahoo, the quarterbacks are much more highly valued than ESPN, so. Even in an experienced league, I believe you can expect quarterbacks to be, uh, high, you know, more expensive on Yahoo than ESPN. So if you want to nominate quarterbacks to get money out of your opponent's wallet, which is a good idea, that's going to be more effective on Yahoo. In you know, an ESPN, maybe, except for Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> you know, that that will not be as effective. So you need to understand that. So. You know, just doing a couple mocks to get that down. But really, when you're trying to figure out plan B and C, you need to go against other players. And unfortunately, they're not as popular for whatever reason as snake drafts. And so you need to wait until like July, either lunchtime or after work, to get into a, a mock draft with 12 living, breathing people. And the other limitation is a lot of those people won't have the patience to go through one or two rounds of nominations. So you can get a good sense of how the first few rounds will play out, but the end game is totally crucial in auctions far more than in snake drafts. And you probably won't get a good feel for that on the mocks. And so when you think you're going to clean up at the end with only $10 left over, I would not bank on that happening in your actual redraft league.
3: Yeah. I, I like the point there that you make about the preparation. Um, because it it reminds me of something that I wanted to say too. I think that you can certainly prepare for auctions in so many different ways, and even there is value in going into an auction like that where people are going to unfortunately exit after the first two two rounds or so of, of um, nominations because your preparation isn't necessarily focusing so much on building that one type of team or determining the price that you want to pay for a certain player. It's all about reacting. So it's it's worth going through that mental exercise, even if seeing this is what shook out in these first two rounds. What could I have maybe done differently that would have positioned me uh, in a better spot for the rest of this draft? How would I have continued going about as things developed in this draft? That's really what the preparation is about there. It's kind of similar to when I talk about building projections for players for the coming season to me it's not so much about that final number that you arrive at for the player it's about understanding how you got to building that projection so if we take that to doing mock auctions um, anywhere that's available to do them it might not be so much about what you actually paid for each player or how you built that team it might just be practicing making those decisions quickly realizing that If you have a need in your roster, you can only wait so long before you fill it, and many times you're better off to address it sooner rather than later. I'm trying not to hit on too many of the great points because we were thinking of maybe stretching this out into two episodes, but I think that um, one of the biggest takeaways that I've had is being resistant to getting into the action too early trying to let things develop for too long, and then being in a position where I have all this money, but all of the good players are gone. So I like to tell myself that during this auction, I should have a set of goals when I head into this auction, and one of them is to make myself uncomfortable. So I'm trying to get into the action, at least start bidding on players early, seeing if there's any chances where maybe I'll get lucky and a player that I'm in the market for will go for less because as the draft moves on and there's fewer players, there's almost like an element of inflation, which is your money can buy you less because the good players are gone. So it's really dangerous to try to hoard your money and wait till the end to spend it all. Um, So I would definitely encourage you if you do do some of these mocks, see what you feel like and how your teams are looking at the end when you try to start spending some money early. And there's going to be players that you like early, given the way that nominations generally will have some of the best players coming out early. Um, So just be careful about hoarding your money too much. I don't know if you've had different experiences with that, Jeff, but um, I think it's dangerous when you try to wait too long. This episode is brought to
2: you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion.
1: Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store fifty to seventy percent off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory.
4: I agree. You know, in real football, aggression wins. In poker, aggression wins. And auctions, oftentimes aggression wins. Some of the biggest regrets are when you let that stud that you really almost had and you really wanted, but you don't want to go a dollar or two over what you meant thought number was. You get that guy because later in the year, after week 11, and this guy's cleaning up, you'd be like, well, why is this guy so good? And then you look <laughs> back at the draft and he got like, Christian McCaffrey for like 30 bucks, you know, last year. And you're like, Oh, give me a break. You know what I mean? How did, but he got that value and he was aggressive, um, with it or it, it doesn't really matter because if everybody else is aggressive early, get this stud, because again, in the end, nobody's going to have money. So it's not gonna, So your money will go further. Yep. So you got to sort of, I don't want to say meet or greet any aggression. Cause you, you know, I've had some, uh, people in my auctions that are sort of special forces and they treat it like a gunfight and man they'll (laughs) empty the clip real quick let me tell you and they will not back down mano a mano and they are going to get their guy of course they win the battle and lose the war because they got no money left so you want you want to be kind of sensible about it but yeah err on the side of aggression right and Oh, go you ahead. Know, the other thing is, you know, as you say, you got to rebudget. Is and oh, don't worry, Dave, about not having enough material. I we can talk for
1: okay, hours. Okay, Are
4: you kidding? Yeah. Well, we haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> but I'm not even concerned about that. Yeah. I'm just concerned to ramble all night. But um, basically, you know, you got to rebudget throughout the auction draft. Okay, because. You know, if we're in a snake draft and it's at the end of the third round, that fifth round pick is still going to be pretty much a fifth round pick. There might be a run on wide receivers, it might be a run on running backs or tight. But I mean, within a couple players, that fifth round pick is a fifth round pick. That ninth round pick is a ninth round pick. That does not apply to auctions. Things get wildly out of whack very quickly. Depending on because the guy with all the money has got no players, right? Yep. To spend it on, so now all of a sudden he's coming in and bidding up these mediocre players that you thought you're going to get for twenty bucks. Well, you're not going to get him. He's going to get, you know. And if everybody's gone crazy, then these guys that you thought you'd never be able to afford, you can. So you need to constantly rebudget and reallocate your resources based on who's available at running back, quarterback tight end wide receiver and how much money you have left to spend and who you already have on your roster. If you have five good wide receivers, you know, there's only three in a flex that you're starting. You might want to consider throwing the vast majority of your other money into running backs. And, And the other thing is I, you know, I'm not going to tell you I'm great at chess, but when I was, you know, in grade school, I I liked it and uh, I read some books and some will start with the end in mind, like Stephen Covey start with the end in mind. They'll start with the end game and they'll work backwards. Uh, How do you get to have a one or two point advantage? Well. The end game is important in chess. The river is important in poker. Most important street, probably. Yep. And the end game in an auction is really, really important because some people will be flat out out of money and they have a dollar left. And if you have $2 left for a player, there's a world of difference. Even though there might not be a difference between a $40 player and a $41 player, I guarantee you the difference between a $1 player and a $2 player is the difference between like a ninth round player and a 15th round player. It's like six rounds of value. It's really big. And so if you can do that, then like if you have only $2 left a player, at the end, the worst player on your bench can be like a ninth round pick. For sure. And So that's good. And you have a lot of depth. Having said that, you probably don't want to do that because early waiver is important. You got to sort of play it out. It's like chess, you know. If you don't look, what's the next move? You get checkmated. And in a draft, you got to say, well, what's the next move? Well, the next move is you set lineups, you play a game, and then waivers hit. And there's some people in that first game that come out of nowhere, like Philip Lindsay, for example. Yep. That are good players that nobody saw coming. They're there on waivers, and now you need to drop people to get the Philip Lindsay. You need to drop people to get that wide receiver who got 10 targets in a game and the coach is just gushed about in the post-operative, you know, inter- in the post-operative, in the uh, <laughs> post-game interview. Now you know what I did. Yeah. The post-game interview, you know. So you're going to want that guy and you need to drop people. And it's if you're not, what's a ninth-round player like DD Westbrook or somebody?
3: Yeah, probably somebody. Are you going to want to drop
4: DD Westbrook? For a waiver, I mean, I'd be very reluctant to do that. Even if he had a bad game, he's still a number one wide receiver in Jacksonville. You know, Nick Foles is there. They're up and coming. Maybe they just, you know, get in a new new offense. The kinks worked out. It's tough to drop a D.D. Westbrook after one game. For sure. So you don't want to have your bench with all these decent players.
3: Counterintuitive, but it's really true.
4: Yeah, it's counterintuitive, but it's very true because it's not true when you look at your draft and you want to show your buddy or your kids or whatever yep. who you drafted. But when that first waiver run comes and you got to decide how to play it, you really want people that it's obvious to drop. You want that late round, you know, if you're doing like 18 or 20 round best ball drafts, you know who the late round guys are. You want somebody like a David Moore that either hit or didn't. You want somebody you know, that you can feel good draft, I mean dropping for a waiver pick. And so instead of two dollars, you know, uh for your bench players, if you have two dollars on average and you spend three dollars on three bench players and three dollars on and one three dollars between the last. So three, 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 one, 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 that's better. Because those three dollar plays can be like eighth round picks, which are obviously better than the ninth round picks. So you have a better team Plus, you have all these late-round dart throws on your bench that you're just dying to drop. You know, maybe one of them hit. Good, congratulations. And you still have two people you won't even think twice about, and you don't make a bad drop that's going to come back to, you know, hurt you later and cause regret. So, you know, you do want to always consider the next move, and you do want some of those guys that will either hit big or not hit big, and you'll know pretty early in the year.
3: Yeah, lots of great points there. I completely agree with that because I have found that lots of times I'm better off if, uh, for example, I'm in a league and let's just say that the top end wide receivers are going for somewhere between $45 to $50. And I've seen Devonta Adams go in that range and Julio and DeAndre Hopkins I'm better if I say, you know what? When Michael Thomas comes up, even if this goes over forty-five and he gets closer to the top end, let me stick those four dollars into him versus waiting till the end to use those four uh, dollars. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, I'd probably rather be able to use it on a player who is much more of a scarce resource than those guys that are at the end of the draft. That are even if they're around nine or around ten player, we know that. We have a hard time accurately projecting those players and the odds that they end the season being truly around nine or 10 pick aren't that great. And like you said, I also recognize that I want to avoid having roster cloggers on my team. It's best when you view your team and your bench kind of as an extension of the waiver wire, or said differently, the waiver wire is an extension of your bench. Um, because you feel like you've sunk money into this cost and you somehow feel like by keeping these players on your team, you're going to be able to recover that cost. So the sunk cost fallacy as Matt and I have talked about a couple of times on on different pods. um, You're lots of times though, better just churning through those players that honestly probably aren't going to get into your lineup. So you position yourself to have spent a lot of money on those really dynamite players that you have a much higher probability of using time. And again, as the season moves along, You sink your money into them, and then you're leaving yourself positioned to make use of the waiver wire. So you're really turning the waiver wire into an asset. And I think that that's something you can do. Or The auction draft allows you to build your team with that in mind in a way that you just simply can't do in a redraft league.
1: Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic factories. Mega Labor Day sale! Entire store fifty to seventy percent off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic factories. Mega Labor Day sale! Entire store fifty to seventy percent off. Dresses from nineteen ninety nine. Polos from sixteen ninety nine. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic factory
4: yeah yeah I agree and you know just getting back to to something that you were talking about Dave if yep. I can yeah um, sure. you know you said you know we we seem to sort of say that it's complicated and stuff like that and, and it is but you need some way to organize these things mentally to at least know kind of sort of what kind of draft you're in yep you know, again, if you will let me make the poker analogies, which I love to make, because they're <laughs> so apropos to fantasy football, I believe. Yep. But, you know, every poker game is different because every person is different. Every group of 10 people is different. But they will divide it just so you know, kind of sort it. You can sort things mentally and start to fine tune your strategy. In poker, they'll talk about a tight aggressive game, tight passive, loose aggressive, loose passive. So and if you play poker, you sort of know how you would handle things in those different situations. And for auction drafts, it's kind of, they're all different, trust me, a lot more different than snakes. And that therefore, in my mind, a lot more fun. And they reward those that have more in-depth knowledge and can think on their feet better. Having said that, everybody needs some type of scaffolding or a mental framework to sort of try to figure out, you know, where are we? What what did I find myself in? Because this is different than last night's draft. So I think we sort of touched on it. But, you know, if I can sort of divide these into different types, you have what I would call flat and steep. Now, some people have said, and there is truth in this, that if you got 12 people that were professional fantasy football analysts, and you got them in an auction. That would tend to be flatter or more shallow, if you will, Yep. in that type players go for around 50 bucks, you know? Actually, often. so
3: I've done a number of expert auctions and I'm in one league that I've done with the same group of industry experts for a number of years running. And that is definitely what I see. It's a lot more flat. You don't ever really get players getting beyond
4: $55. Yeah. You know, and what I would say is, I mean, and, and you know. Uh, I hate to say this, but I'd love to be in those type of drafts. Yeah. You know, give me Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyler Lockett, uh, Curtis Samuel, and then I'll take D.D. Westbrook from my flex. And a bench of no one, and hopefully I'll hit somebody on waivers. And, you know, no matter who's playing against me in week one, they're in trouble. For sure. You know, even if I have to lose my share of the bye weeks, I will probably have a winning record to get me into the playoffs and there are no buys. I'm talking about, you know, 13, you know, the normal league, not the yep. FFP. 13 week regular season and 14, 15, 16 of the playoffs. When we hit week 14, there are no buys left. And if I can avoid injury, because, you know, I can't go with you guys and waiver wires and lineup setting, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But if I can win my share, With that team, if I avoid injury, you you know I'm going to make a lot of noise in the playoffs. So that that is a not a bad type of league to be in. Now um, the other type is something which is more uh, uh, they claim and it's probably true less experienced players are in, which is steeper. Where you'll see people like Barkley go for 80 bucks out of 200, and other players will go for 75 and 75 and You know, you want one of those elite guys. Well, it either far exceeds your budget and you deal with that or you go to plan B. And so you have flat or steep. Obviously, the flat, those sleepers at the end will not be going cheaply. And if it's steep, there's no money left at the end. So if you have, you know, an average of two bucks a player for $3 for a half, your bench and $1 for the other half. You're in good shape. You're going to pick up some good players. And then the other intersection is regular or irregular. If you get into a draft with a bunch of people that are not that experienced, the nomination order will be what I call regular, meaning the 101, Saquon Saquon Barkley, then the 102, it's Kamara, or it's it's McCaffrey, then the one. you know what I mean? And you'll just tend to go down. And that's a lot simpler to deal with to know how to value players because everything's regular as opposed to the irregular type, which is more people that are experienced and they know they're experienced and they want to take advantage of that experience and that deeper knowledge of player values. And the second player nominated might be, you know, uh, Lamar Miller and the third player might be Dave Montgomery and the fourth player might be Chris Godwin. And then the fifth player might be Antonio Brown. Now, Are you gonna let Antonio Brown go cheaper than you want? So you can save the money for one of those studs, or are you gonna take the value? And you really have to have a much better sense of how to value these players and how to adjust your strategy on the fly. So you're going from kind of and they're not necessarily related, but experienced people would tend to have flatter or shallower, whatever word you like, flatter slash shallower more irregular draft, and then the less experienced players, steeper, more regular drafts. And you can just sort of use those two X and Y axes and try to figure out where on that spectrum your individual auction draft is on this particular night, and then maybe how you adjust to all those different things.
3: All very true. And that that brought up two points for me. Let me see if I can remember them. Oh, yeah. The first one being, I have noticed that many times, and this might be because I'm in leagues with more experienced players, but I would assume that at this point, there's so much coverage of the NFL and fantasy that it's hard to find these players that are truly real sleepers that nobody can know about. But I have found myself saying, all right, um, like in, in drafts last year, I said, you know what, maybe at the end of the draft, I can grab DJ Moore for really cheap. And as I'm going through that auction, in the back of my mind, I'm picturing my roster with DJ Moore on it. Well, the problem is, we get to, I don't know, maybe the eleventh round of nominations, and somebody tosses up DJ Moore, and then I realize, like, oh my god, everybody else is on DJ Moore. I'm not going to get him for this this really low price. Which is why it's super dangerous to rely too much on players that you're not going to be. Um, able to bid on until the end of the draft. Uh, So you have to be really careful about that. And I think that kind of touches upon one of the things I talked about earlier, which is it's better to get players that you feel good about adding to your team earlier on than trying to wait and get all of those guys that you're targeting later on, which goes back to you have to be fluid and you have to be flexible and you can't be too rigid. I had one more point off of what you had been saying, but it actually escapes me. Um, I don't know if you have any follow-up thoughts to what I just said, and I'll see if I can if I can capture my other thought.
4: Yes, I do. Yep. Okay. So you're waiting for DJ Moore at the end, right? Yep. So, and th- this is where I love discussing auctions because now we're going to discuss a scenario, yep. a specific instance, and we can we can. There are a million different scenarios. That's why I'm saying don't worry about having enough you know, material We got because there is a million different scenarios. But th- this is where the rubber meets the road. Yep. How do you handle an individual situation? The pearls and the pitfalls, specifically, how do I screw this up? Because you want, you know what they say? They say good judgment comes from experience. And experience comes from bad judgment, <laughs> you know? Yep. So, Anyone can learn from experience, but a wise man learns from other people's experience, which is why we listen to podcasts and, you know, talk to, you know, read articles Mm -hmm. and stuff. But let's say you have just crushed it in the beginning. You got your two stud running backs, your two wide receivers you want, and you are ahead of schedule, meaning you've gotten them all cheaper. Okay. Yep. And you, you, and you are just like smoking it. You, I, you just see the championship trophy <laughs> on your mantelpiece, and you are styling. And you know, you're telling your wife and your kids, and your whoever's there, oh, we're gonna crush it, right? You know, and again, a poker analogy. They call it winners' tilt in poker. You've just gotten lucky a few hands in a row. Now you're throwing your chips all over, and you give back everything you just won, right? Yep. So what happens is now you get cocky and you get greedy you know Uh, i guess gordon gecko said greed is good but not always you know and Mm -hmm. you know pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered so (laughs) you're sitting there and you have 10 more dollars than the you know the next guy and you're gonna wait on dj more and nobody can stop you and then somebody comes up and you're like you know what that guy would be a good fourth running back and I can get this guy for seven bucks, right? Are you kidding me? What a great value. I had him value to 15. I'm going to take him. And then somebody else comes up. And you go, I can get this guy for eight bucks. Look at it. I am just smoking it. And then all of a sudden, you no longer have the most money. And you find you're not the only guy waiting on DJ Moore yep. when he's next nominated. And the guy that was going to be the center point of your team is now on your arch rivals team because you took the value instead of keeping focused on what you really wanted and so you need to really uh either nominate them right then so you know how much you have to spend on them and how much you have for the other guys or you just have to just hoard that money and resist temptations sometimes You know, we try not to nominate people early on in the middle that we want, but sometimes when you're in a situation like that and you're saving a significant chunk of change for somebody, at some point, it's more important to have the knowledge of how much you need to spend to get him than it is to save an extra buck or two.
3: Yeah. And it's interesting because I've also had the opposite situation. This was actually in an auction this year where I was kind of banking on that I'd round out my group of wide receivers with Will Fuller. And with the way the draft had gone, I was expecting that Will Fuller would go for maybe like $17, 18 $16 in this draft. Well, I kept waiting and I was saving some of my funds on Fuller when there was a lot of analogous receivers going That I thought, well, maybe they're going for a little bit more than Will Fuller will. I'll wait and just grab Fuller. It turns out that it took so long for Fuller to get nominated, he only went for six bucks. It's great that I got the deal, but the problem was I had allocated so much money waiting for Fuller that I thought I would need for him that then I had this surplus of dollars that weren't really doing me any good later in the draft. So there's definitely this balancing act to it. And What I should have done in retrospect was if I was really that dead set on Fuller, like you said, I should have just taken the opportunity and nominated him earlier, or I should have said, you know what, this is getting dangerous. Why don't I go for an option that's similar to Will Fuller when they're present? And I then may have been overall in a better position because like I said, I had this surplus. There was that inflation and my money at the end wasn't really buying me. that much. You know what I mean? Um, So that's a really dangerous thing. And there's this balancing act to it, which you're not going to be right all of the time. But I think the more auctions that you do or the more planning that you do, you can avoid having those type of situations. So I actually, man, like you said, I think we could just keep going on this. There's some other key concepts uh, things that I think we could probably discuss in another episode. So if you're cool for it, maybe we'll, uh, do another one of these. And if you have any closing thoughts, uh, things that you want to say before we close this one down, let me know.
4: Yeah. Can I just touch on a couple of points? Definitely. So if you're Will Fuller, let's say you had $18 budgeted, you got them for six. So now you have 12 bucks and nothing that you're really interested in spending it on. If you had nominated them earlier, it might've cost you nine bucks, right? Yep. 50% more. But you would have had an extra $9 to spend on players that you really wanted. So, again, the knowledge is sometimes more important than the money. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. The other thing that we had on the show sheet yep, is, you know, just auction drafts are so much more fun, I believe, than snake drafts. I really wonder why people are tentative about doing them. First of all, they're a lot more fair, right? Yep. It's like, if you're number one and I'm not, you can get who you want. I can't get him. Well, how is that fair, right? We're both <laughs> putting up the same amount of money to be in the league. Why Why is it random chance that you can get the league winner, but I can't? At least if it's an auction, you outbid me. I have no one to blame but myself. And the other thing is, you know, fantasy football players agree on very little. We can't agree on who the best player is, how to. Who you want in the first round, who, you know, what position to spend most of your auction dollars on. The only thing that we can agree on is that the draft is the most fun part of the season. So if it's the most fun part of the entire fantasy football season, why do you want to rush it? You know, I am only for myself, not counting family members in four leagues. So I just for myself get four of these a year so and then i got to go through what becomes honestly a grind between waivers and you know tuesday nights my wife's like are you done <laughs> yet i mean come on because i have to work during the day then yep. then i come home and i'm really an uber driver for my kids going to sports and then while i do it and she's like you gotta be kidding me you know she's tired of tuesday nights during the seasons so, you know quite frankly at the end so am i and then i gotta set lineups and i gotta worry about injuries and there's trades and it can become a grind but the best part of it all that makes it all worthwhile for me is a draft. So why do you want to just rush through it in 60 minutes? Well I know auctions can take two hours, maybe 205 210 but the extra hour that that it's great and the preparation for it is so much more fun because there's so much more in my mind involved. I wouldn't rush it. I would just enjoy the draft make it you know, you know, people, if you can get together, some people go to different cities and get on planes and then you go there. I mean, don't rush the draft. It's the most fun part of it all. Auction drafts last longer, but I don't look at that as a negative. I would say that when it's the most fun part of the entire season, that can only be a positive.
3: I completely agree with all of that. It To me, it's like, especially if you're playing in, in a league with people that you know, you set this date months in advance, you clear the calendar, you let your family know you need to have this three hour window. You set this four months in advance it's perfectly doable. And it, yeah, it, it's just the absolute best. Um, I think that auction drafts probably aren't as popular because people feel like there's this complexity and there's this unknown and they can't just go online and and get this blueprint that they want to follow. And I think that for some people you know, maybe it's just a lack of wanting to put in effort to it. I don't know why they're not more popular because I do agree that they're more fun. Um, I like the intellectual aspect of it. It is more fair. I I don't know. But hey, maybe if we keep pushing out uh, pods like this and we get some more people interested, the uh, popularity can increase. Amen. So with that, Jeff and I are going to close it off for this episode. We are going to record another one. Um, I'm not sure how, when this actually publishes, I don't know what the time frame will be before we publish another one of these, uh, but just be on the lookout for it. Uh, so thanks for uh, coming on, Jeff, and I'm looking forward to having you back next week.
4: Yes, sir. It was great. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Yep. So listeners, do us a solid uh, rate Review, subscribe to RotoViz Radio. Uh, if you have any questions on anything that you want to have us talk about, if it's before the next episode or I can hit upon on uh, a regular RotoViz Radio episode, just email us at uh, RotoViz Radio at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California.